Hello, welcome to episode 11 of the Always Loyal Podcast. I'm Darren Smith. Jordan Carruth, what's coming up this week? Episode 11 of the Always Loyal Podcast. We are going to hang out with Amani Walker. He is an assistant coach with Loyal Select. Great insight, good perspective. And uh, we are going to talk about local partnerships, and we're also going to talk about the team on the field. What a start it's been for San Diego Loyal. The most goals, the most wins, and the most points. We're going to talk about all of it next with Amani Walker. And here he is. Top of the 18, crosses over for Vassell. Vassell. Level left foot, back post, he's got it! How about that from Kyle Vassell? All right, to the start of the show, he is Amani Walker. We don't know how to introduce him. He does so many things in San Diego. It's impossible to narrow it down to one. We were doing this off, off the show, and uh, we came up with an assistant with Loyal Select. We have the fact that he teaches loyal players how to cook. He is Miguel Ibarra's BFF. I don't know. Amani, how do you want to be introduced today? I'm just Amani. That's it. Just Amani from San Diego. Knows a thing or two about soccer. That's all. Yeah, um, Francis Parker High School legend, by the way. Francis Parker High School, CIF champs, Division Two this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too bad for a school of 550 kids. How did that happen? How did they become champs? Uh, well, we lost the CI final division four and three for the past in the last two years, which was great. Um, and by great, I mean, it was the worst thing ever, but we had 19 seniors. So, you know, if you think about it, we have pretty much 60, 65 boys in our senior class and 19 of them played in our soccer team. Um, and they really just kind of banded together, um, had that goal in the beginning of the year of being CIF champs and accomplished it. I mean, we played Carlsbad in the final and our first game of the year, they beat us 4-1 and then we beat them one nothing, you know, in the final. And I think that was kind of like the cherry on top of us finally getting over, you know, our own created um, obstacle of not winning a CIF championship. And, you know, now I'm going to have four returning players next year, but we're not going to think about that. We're just going to enjoy our CIF championship this year and, and get on with it. That's it. Tell us the latest. I, I mentioned you're an assistant once again with Loyal Select. What is the latest with Select? Um, so we've, we've had a few, um, uh, I'll call them trials, I guess. Um, you know, we've been talking to a few kids around the, the city, um, you know, from all different clubs, um, you know, age ranges from, you know, 05s, 04, so, you know, 18-ish, 17, 18-year-olds, um, all the way down to 07s and 08s, um, you know, so we're really trying to get a good crop of kids that we can build over a few years, um, you know, and when we have those 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, um, I think it's better for for the club um, so we can develop over you know in the next two or three years you know when we play in the summers and I think it's also good for those kids to be able to play in a different environment um, you know a, a professional environment that we've created um, playing against these other academies in the USL and um, I'm, I'm really excited we should have a couple more training sessions at the end of this month and then get into full swing starting in May and June. Amadi, I remember one of the first times I think any of us were all in a room together. We were at one of the loyal meetings, one of the many meetings early on before the club had ever signed a player, before we knew anything about kit sponsors. We didn't know anything. And we were talking a little bit about what this 
is all about, like what this club is going to be now. Now this is season three, but I remember distinctly you said something about making sure that there was community outreach. You were talking a lot about Linda Vista, and I, you know, it's the first time you and I had met, and you know, you, you didn't know me, I didn't know you, I know of you, and I, I thought to myself, what a unique angle about how important this must be for him to talk about community, whether that's select, whether that's Francis Parker High School, whether that's you, your up upbringing. I just wonder how important soccer community in San Diego is to you, because it just was the first impression I ever had when we met. It's extremely important. I mean, that's what legitimately built me. Um, starting out AYSO when I was three and a half years old and my parents lying on the sheet saying I was four so I can play in games. <clears throat> you know, playing in the rec program at San Diego United, you know, turning into a club team, turning into Crusaders, turning into surf, and, um, you know, me coming back and playing with um, the Albion pros and, and you know, just kind of always being within the San, San Diego soccer community. I mean, it, it's huge. And um, just like the network of people that I know and that I can always lean on, whether I was coaching, whether... Um, I was playing refereeing, whatever it is, and um, I think the the ability for the loyal to tap into that, um, and you know, with all their different ventures, and you know, partnering with the YMCA now here in San Diego, um, you know, working with different clubs, inviting those CIF champions to come out, um, you know, and have their 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 moment at halftime. Um, you know, I think that's something that this this community the city had kind of been lacking for a while and we have padres and people rally around them but you know we're, we're a transplant city right so you know you can see a lot more giants fans and padre fans sometimes in, in those seats and you know to have uh, a team that is built around loyalty right you know it's no secret um that they want this you know they the loyal wants the the fans and, and wants the city to know that they're there for them is is paramount, right? I don't know if there's many other clubs around the, the country that, you know, have built their, their whole identity around the people that they want to, um, they want to bring to their games, the people that support them. Um, and I think the, the lawyer has to continue to, to do that, has to continue to reach out and not to the kids, but to the, you know, 18 to 35 single demographic that has, a, you know, a lot of disposable income and can come to games and, you know, also to, you know, those with, um, you know, families young and old, right? Like, so my dad going to games, you know, me inviting him out and just like, you know, I want to bring my daughter to games, right? So it has to be a generational thing. And, you know, it's year three, like you said, and it's going to be a, a, a long time to build what, what I think we all think we can, it can be. Um, but it's a pretty darn good start so far. Right, and whether it's you and your professional career, we just saw World Cup qualifying where there were two San Diegans on mm -hmm. the U.S. men's national team roster. So we know that there is, there's tradition here, there's success here, but it just has felt a bit random, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think maybe because we don't, we didn't have a, like a, a, you know, youth to professional pipeline that it, you know, and like San Diego kind of loses out to, to the LA's of the world and, and, you know, San Francisco or wherever. And, um, but I, I, per capita, I mean, we must have the most youth players playing, you know, in the country and definitely at the highest levels, you know? Um, and 
I think now that we have, you know, a, a professional team here and, you know, things that we're doing with select, I think you're going to see a lot more of those, you know, randoms going through, uh, you know, having a place to go and going through the, the, um, that pipeline a little bit smoother, smoother. And then all of a sudden San Diego kind of becomes this hotbed for, for professional talent. Like it always should have been, you know, even in my generation, you know, I can think of five guys who ended up playing professionally, you know, within my age group, right. You know, that 89, 90, 88, um, but you don't really hear about it. Right. But now if you're, you know, what if they came back and they're playing for the loyal, like a Sal Zizzo did, like Austin Guerrero did. Right. Um, all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, well, I remember he, he grew up here. He played for this team and he did this. Right. So, you know, it, it becomes like a more familiar thing. Um, and, and it can only be positive for the next generation that's coming up and watching. You mentioned the uh, YMCA partnership. What does that mean? What is it? We, I mean, we've talked about it, but like, can you give us more detail on that? What does it mean to be part yeah. with the YMCA? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really great. So, you know, the loyal has taken, um, you know, their name and, and created a, a curriculum to help the YMCA kind of bolster their, their soccer, um, their soccer side of things, right. Especially with the youth. And I think, you know, with grassroots programs like the YMCA is, you know, we're not talking about generally the next like Messi's coming through there. Right. Um, but it, it is a place that you can grow and you can play and it's, you just get extra touches and, you know, arena soccer is so much different than outdoor. And, you know, you're playing sometimes with your friends, sometimes with your club team, you know, it's something that I grew up in, you know, I played YMCA soccer almost every season just in the same way I did basketball and, and football and swam and everything like that. And, um, I think community programs like, like the Y are just so important in getting a different demographic introduced to soccer, um, and introduced to sport. Um, especially when you think about what it takes to play club soccer in this country and in this city and, you know, what, what players are seen over others and the, the opportunities that they have, right? And sometimes that, you know, has a lot to do with, um, you know, getting into a club and paying a whole bunch of money and, and doing that thing. So if you have, you know, YMCA where those coaches are, you know, a little bit better and they understand a little bit more what, what they what they can do and how they can help a, a young individual, maybe that that kid picks up soccer a little bit earlier and enjoys it a little bit more and learns a little bit and, you know, becomes friends. And then now they're playing it at a higher level later on in life. And, you know, who knows what that can go on to. Right. But, as, you know, as long as we can build up the floor, right, the ceiling is only going to get higher. I was thinking about you um, during the first Open Cup match, Loyal taking on Albion. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's an opportunity to see a couple of these select players, like guys like CJ Fodry out there playing. Mm -hmm. What's it like for you seeing, um, I mean, we're three years in now and you're, you're seeing guys who play at that level with select, but also get time with loyal and then getting that opportunity in that tournament. And who knows what the opportunities will be going forward. What's that like for you? It's great. You know, I think it's fully deserved, you know, with CJ and with Xavi is, you know, especially since they were the first ones really um, to, to sign those Academy contracts and, um, you know, Ian Mai was there as well. And now we have Duran and, and Danny and, um, Isaias, right. Um, but I, I really, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like being proud, right. You know, and I'm such a small part of their overall development, you know, considering that I've come in so late, you know, I've only really coached them for Xavi and, and CJ for a year. Um, but just be able to, to see them progress the way they progressed and, you know, playing in that, first team almost every single day like they do you know it's 
it's such a jump right and from from not only from your club team but from you know like cj's gonna end up going to san diego state and like it's it's such a jump in the way you think and how quickly you play and the physicality that's needed um and so you know when we get them you can already see changes in in just how they operate on the field and then to put them into into a full you know actual professional game and um to see them starting to click Right. And then playing at that high speed and then, you know, not playing, playing up to what they needed to be. And, you know, all the stuff that they've been learning, it's so great to see, um, you know, and I, I'm hoping that the, the new academy contract or academy players that have just signed, you know, start to learn quickly. Right. Because, you know, it, it's hard. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for them and I'm excited to see what the next six months and, and six years brings um, for all of them. Amadi, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, lower division soccer in this country mm. because you you played your career was uh, in lower division soccer USL. This is this is really our third season. I remember Sacramento Republic and you know right. seeing smoke and all that sort of stuff and FC Cincinnati and a handful of others, Portland, et cetera. Take us back like 10, 12 years ago. How much different was lower division soccer than the things that we're seeing now from television distribution to supporter culture? How much different was lower division soccer when you became a professional around 2010? It, man, it's, I wouldn't say it was night and day, but it's definitely leaps and bounds. And so, you know, I was four years in the NASL with, between Minnesota and Tampa and in Minnesota, we would have, you know, 500 people in the stands and, you know, like 400 of that was our friends and family. And, (laughs) We had a great supporters culture there, you know, if I'm, you know, being honest with, um, you know, like all of those guys in Minnesota, I mean, I still get, um, you know, they still reach out to me and, and everything. Like, I really love, you know, everything that they, they were about. Um, but it, it just, it felt, um, it feels like this is, you know, where it should have been all along. Right. And, you know, we're talking lower division sports, right. In a country that's built on, you know, being in the major leagues. Right. Um, but the fact that there is, you know, the local section that, um, that we have in Chavos and rainbow and all of those groups, right. Like we barely had one, um, you know, the fact that there is a CBA now for players, right. Like just, I had kids who were just, you know, showing up, living at home type thing, driving to, to, to train and try to play. And, um, I think the level of play has gotten so much better as well. Um, and then I had a, a guy used to play with um, in Tampa. He played in the Prem and for Norwich and a couple other teams in Stoke. And he always used to say, you know, our level was like, you know, championship level athleticism. Like you had these kids coming out of college, very young. You know, that's kind of what the league was, is running everywhere. You know, we could run with anybody. He said the level of skill was like League One, you know, like just, you know, maybe third division in, in England, you know, like there's players who could do some. He said the level of thought was like Sunday League. He said <laughs> he was like, it was just not even anywhere near us, right? And so, you know, and I get what he's saying because we just didn't have, you know, the coaching and the culture and everything like that to, to kind of build us up to where we needed to be. And I think you know, as the, the league has gotten better, the coaching has gotten better, the, the players have gotten better internationally and, and domestically. Um, you know, it's, it's just such a positive to see, you know, I'm watching, I didn't get a chance to go this past week, but I'm watching on TV and I'm just like kind of thinking to myself how 
you know, loyalism building out of the back and like the pressure where it's coming from and the hold up play from cotton, you know, all of this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, like we could do that, but it wasn't as consistent. And like, or maybe the teams weren't as consistent as it was back then. Right. So the better teams could definitely do that, but it was, it wasn't the same. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the future and like the growth and seeing, you know, my high school kids and the college kids that I've coached going into the league and creating something for themselves and being able to go to those games and watch and seeing a, a you know, a decent, a high level of soccer, um, and learning from that and using that in their own games. Right. Um, Right. I mean, the idea, I, I mean, that Landon Donovan and uh, Tim Howard and, uh, you know, Eric Winalda and Demarcus mm -hmm. Beasley, like the idea that these guys would be involved as they are here in lower division soccer at the USL championship level or, or at any division must have been completely just a foreign concept for you guys back then. Well, and it was and it wasn't. You know, we had Raul playing for the New York Cosmos, you know, Marco Senna playing. <clears throat> um, I think it was... Who was it? Somebody came into Indy 11 around that time, like Denilson or somebody played for like Manchester United. I can't remember who it was, you know. So, like, they were starting to come over and starting to play in the league. And, you know, obviously not too long after, Jogba played for, for Phoenix and, you know, all of those things. So it, You know, it was... But, you know, I'm back in 2011 when I, when I first got drafted and up signing with Minnesota. I mean, we were... We didn't have an owner. We legitimately did not have an owner. The rest of the league paid our salaries, and my salary was a hundred dollars a month. Wow! They taxed. They, I got a check for forty-seven dollars every two weeks, and then they would pay us a stipend that wasn't taxed, and that's how we could live, pay rent, do the groceries, everything like that. And it wasn't that much, but my legit salary was a hundred dollars a month. Like, it, I just don't. There's nothing else I can say but that. It's changed. It's definitely changed. Just a little bit, man. It was yes. it was wild, but it was fun. I hope these players thank you, by the way, when they see you around there. Yeah. <laughs> man, I I went through so much for them to you know, I went to, I had to cross so they could run or whatever it was. My goodness. All right, I want to talk about what's happening this season with Landon Donovan and what's happening this year with San Diego Loyal. What do you think of the start so far? Is there anything that really jumps out to you? Um, whether it be a specific player, or someone new, maybe a returning player, what stands out with this start? Well, so a couple of things. So I, you know, I'm a center forward, so I have to talk about Thomas and Kyle, right? And I think their impact has been, you know, massive, right? So, you know, when when you watch a lot of these teams play in the USL, you know, it's still pretty young. It's still kind of running gun. You know, it's more more League One than it is in the championship. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say. And when you don't have a center forward tandem or, or somebody up front who can just, like, connect and play and, and be, um, you know, a, a focal point in your offense, you're going to struggle, right? There's only so much you can do breaking press if you can't keep the ball higher up the field. And, you know, just watching them to play, and it's not perfect every time, but even the first goal the Loyal scored um, against Charleston, long ball after playing out of the back, Kyle brings it down, like, beautifully plays it, one, two, boom, and they score, right? So um, I'm really enjoying watching them and seeing what they can continue to do, you know, throughout the season. Um, Charlie scared me. You know, when he went down, he really scared me. But 
dropping Guido a little bit further back and and keeping you know Colin Martin in there has actually done pretty well because Colin wants to be defensive and Guido obviously wants to go forward, but now Guido's find himself deeper into spaces out wide in the middle um, where he can spray the ball a little bit. He can you know do his little magic and and get get by one or two players. Um, so that's been really exciting to see. And I'm, I always love Elijah Martin, just like his work rate and how he works up and down. I think being in that back three, that left side of that back three is really going to be good for him because, you know, he's quick enough to do, to do all of that um, work and get back and everything, but he, he loves to get forward. So those are the three things that I've really kind of enjoyed seeing this year. And, um, you know, just big test against Oakland, I think, on, on Wednesday, is it? And Oakland hasn't won, have they? I don't believe so. Yeah, so, you know, now Oakland comes in, or they go to Oakland, and, you know, that's going to be a huge, huge test, and um, especially knowing a couple of those loyal former loyal players are there now. Yeah. Well, I'd love to just follow up, though, a little bit on the forwards because, you know, like, you know, and this isn't to, to speak badly or poorly of, of players that have come and gone, mm-hmm. but, you know, we always talked, you know, pitch side there at Torero Stadium, and, and I loved picking your brain on this. You know, why is it that it's seemingly this is this is at least through five matches the highest scoring team in the USL, um, and you know Kyle Vassell has has slotted right in. Why does it work? Why is it working better with this combination than let's say it did you know last season with with those players? And again, more about this than that. But you know, you bring in somebody who's one of the all-time scorers, and you know, it, it just hadn't looked as as good as what we've so far seen this season. Right, and I think we haven't seen it since Miguel Barry, right? And I think Miguel Barry is a true center forward, just like Kyle is a true center forward. Um, and I don't think Thomas is a true center forward, like middle, you know, center of the pitch, but he does a lot of he makes a lot of the right movements, right? He puts himself in the right positions. <clears throat> so. You know, how I'm how I've been seeing it and you know the way the lawyer have played they need that focal point and I think that's what that's what Cavasel is he is a true number nine true back uh, to the goal all of that hold the ball up you know turn the goal the the second goal he scored where he's receiving that ball just in a half yard of space you know turns a little move gets himself another half yard and strikes him out like that's a true number nine right that's a goal score doing goal like scoring goals right that's he, the, all he wants to do is score um and when he's a little bit further down the field he's going to be the one to 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 bring others into play and i think that's what lawyer have been missing you know it's Toomey tried to do it. Obviously, Corey tried to do it. You know, Atuani tried to do it. There's a lot of guys who tried to do these things, but none of them really had that back-to-goal prowess that Kyle has, that Miguel Barry had. And I think now, once you're seeing that from the beginning, because Miguel came in, I think, later, right, and then left early. Now you're seeing that from the beginning, and like, oh, is that all? Is that all they needed? That was the only thing they needed was just somebody to to do their job as a number nine. And then the rest of it starts to open up. Oh, oh, okay. That's, that's fair. Right. Like, so I hope it continues, you know, like knock on wood, nothing bad happens to anybody, right. They can continue on and stay healthy and, um, you know, teams will start to figure them out, but I think they have enough weapons, especially with Guido and Colin being deeper that, 
you know, that midfield line and that their number six has to step forward just a little bit, and especially how deep the loyal play with all those three center backs. Um, you know, everything, everybody who plays against them has to step in line just a little bit forward. So when they do finally break lines, hold up, and you have Guido running at you full pace from, you know, 40 yards out with Thomas on one side with whoever it is, Conway or, you know, whoever it is on, on the wings. And then, like, that's that's very dangerous. So I think teams are going to have to start to figure out how they're going to play against the Loyal and how, how high do they want to press because as soon as that line is broken, they actually have somebody who can hold it up, bring people into play, and now you got got, you know, four guys who can all score goals with a head of steam. You know, Toomey scored, what, three or four goals this year? And, I mean, it took him... 25 games last year to score three goals right so you know it's just the people around him is giving him the opportunity and he's been in the right place and finally scoring goals and he's also creating opportunities for others he's created 14 chances which is by far the most on the team second most is like six so So he's more than doubled that so you're right it's more than just Vassell and finding someone who can score up front in that position it's unlocking everyone else around him and seeing what Keto delivers, seeing what Toomey can do, and seeing what everyone else can do around these guys. That's, exactly That's been the it. difference. How do you, as a coach, how do you balance a difficult schedule, which is something Loyal is facing? They have matches mm-hmm. against uh, a road match against Oakland this week, um, which may have already been played by the time you listen to this, but Louisville coming up this weekend. Um, also, the Open Cup against an MLS side in LA Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay's coming up. We've been talking about it a while on the podcast. This is not an easy stretch. How do you balance the league and how do you balance the Open Cup? How do you prioritize such a thing? Well, I think, um, you know, the great thing about the Loyal team this year is that they do have depth, right? And, you know, I was talking to, uh, to Matt Hall, um, you know, Nate and them earlier on in the season. And there was just, you know, kind of saying, how do we keep everybody happy? Right. And I think the best way to do it is to play a lot of games. Um, you know, so the open cup game, you got to see a few players that didn't get the chance to play for the, you know, a lot of this year. I think the Oakland game tomorrow is a great chance, um, you know, to, to play some new faces, you know, especially coming from, you know, that would be their, what, fourth game in 10 days or something like that. Um, and then then it's probably the toughest stretch that they have, you know, after that, three games, right? Louisville. Is it Louisville, right? Louisville, mm-hmm. LA Galaxy. On, one goal all season so far. Louisville, LA Galaxy, and... and um, Tampa. And Tampa obviously. right after that, right? So, you know, I would play it as, you know, the Oakland game is important, obviously. But I wouldn't probably rest a few players for the Oakland game. I would probably play my starters as much as I can against Louisville 60 minutes or so and really push for for the Galaxy game. Um, and, you know, I obviously haven't talked to anybody about that. So, you know, don't if that's what happens, I, I don't have any inside information. That's just <laughs> purely what I believe could happen because you just, I mean, I was in the lower division team in Minnesota where we played against um, Real Salt Lake in the Open Cup. And we were supposed to have it at our field. Real Salt Lake came in and said, hey, um, we'll give you guys a couple dollars if we play that, you know, in Salt Lake City. We had no owner. So we were like, yeah, 100%, let's do it. We go out there and we win 3-1. Hmm. Um, and it was the biggest thing in the MLS and, you know, NASL circuits that, you know, that time. And at that time, NASL was still trying to say that they were a division one 
league and they were better than MLS, you know, that was, you know, the start of all of that injunction stuff, right? But it was much bigger to us, considering that we, we knew we had 28 or 30 league games, that if we go in there and we beat Real Salt Lake, that was going to be the biggest thing for us. Um, we go there, we do that, we get, you know, San Jose the next week. Um, and uh, I can't remember those two forwards up front um, that San Jose had. I just saw them the other day, too. Anyways, uh, we go in there and we lose one nothing. But for us, that was the – we hadn't lost in, I don't know, I think it was like 18 games or something like that since the, since the year before then. Um, and San Jose knew that. They're like, you guys haven't lost in a while. La, da, da, this is going to be a hard game for us in the Open Cup, even though we're playing a lower division team, you know. Um, and, you know, next year with Tampa, we go, We Seattle comes to us, we beat Seattle, we go out to Portland, right? So when I think of cup competitions, especially for a lower division team, that has to trump the 30-something games that you play in league. Because you you know you win and you're you're in and you lose and you're done, and so now, you know taking even t even taking out the storyline with Donovan and then being LA Galaxy and all of that stuff, I'm a USL Championship side with a chance to go and be the MLS side. I'm putting my best foot forward to do that because you never know what's going to happen after that. Very well said. I'm so excited for Tuesday. And it's, it's great. it crossed my mind. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do in this moment. You have a Louisville side who is first place in the East coming to your house. This has been a, this is one of those matches you circle on the calendar when the schedule comes out. And a couple hours later, you're visiting LA to take mm -hmm. on Galaxy in an open cup match. Yeah, That's gotta, not an easy setup. It's not an easy setup, but I think, you know, whatever you circled at the beginning of the season, you might have to just adapt it. Um, to the circumstances that you have now. And I'm not saying don't take Louisville lightly, but I honestly, I say give 55, 60 minutes to a majority of your starters um, and, you know, see where the game is going and then, you know, make, make some adjustments. But my focus is going to be on that LA Galaxy game, on that Open Cup game. Be the last, last USL championship in Open Cup, um, championship team in Open Cup, like, have that moniker always, right? You know, beat this one, go on to the next one. You know, it's, it's crazy that FC Tucson is playing uh, whoever they're playing, right? And, you know, OC has to play, you know, LA and um, Loya has to play the Galaxy, but it's like, it is what it is, right? So you win this game, maybe you do get a, a, a FC Tucson or you get a Cal United Strikers, whoever wins that game, or you get whatever, right? And all of a sudden you're in the fifth round of the Open Cup, and what does that mean, right? So you just, you, you know, and Hopefully the Galaxy take it serious, but they might be playing a, a second team, right? And so all of a sudden now you're presented with this opportunity that you might make it to, you know, last 16 teams in this fabled tournament, um, you know, all because you decided to prioritize it over one other game in league, right? So it, it's just, it is a hard one, but that's probably what I would do. You get a little bit of loot too if you're the last USL Championship team remaining. I mean, that's uh, that's it's not that just was, There's a little bit of financial incentive. That, there. that was implied. I didn't want to make it feel like it was all about the money, but uh, it's it's not a bad uh, reward at the end of it. <laughs> we uh, we appreciate the insight. Um, we appreciate you hanging out with us. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, thank you for hanging out on the Always Loyal podcast. I appreciate you guys having me on, and hopefully we'll see you guys soon.
espacio y tiempo. Toca con Kyle Bowser del Toro. El Toro, ¿qué vas a hacer, Toro? ¡Toro de sur! Right, Darren, let's take a look at the Western Conference standings. This should be fun. Presented by the Bright app. It's the world's leading platform for personal training available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, Jordan, through six matches, San Diego Loyal is on top of the Western Conference standings. 15 points, that's five wins and a loss. Amani Walker just brought it up. They will next face Oakland Roots, sitting 13th out of 13 Western Conference clubs, yet to register a win midweek match, perhaps by the time you listen to this podcast, but scheduled for Wednesday evening, zero wins, three losses, a couple of draws. Just a quick look over on the Eastern Conference standings because it matters for Saturday. Next home match at Torero Stadium, San Diego Loyal, hosting Louisville City FC, which mm. has allowed one goal, one goal thus far on the season. So, so the most goals yep. against the least amount allowed. Which team would you rather be a part of? I know that Landon Donovan wants to be on the front foot. We just got a great breakdown from Milani Walker. So I do love this test on Saturday night. Highest scoring club in the league taken on the stingiest goals allowed club in the league as well. Give me the team that scores goals, baby. I want the goal scoring team. That's who I want to support. Um, I, I don't have the time to look this up, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it as a matter of fact. There is not a more difficult three match stretch coming up for any other club than what San Diego has coming up starting this weekend, Louisville, mm -hmm. LA galaxy, Tampa Bay. Does it exist? Is there a more difficult schedule coming up for anyone else? I've thought about this. I, I was thinking, is this the most difficult stretch in loyal club history? Obviously, I think you and I, we've seen every single match. We've been there for pretty much every single match. I, I can't think of a more difficult stretch because we've never faced an MLS club before in a meaningful match. So even the mental approach to Wednesday night against Oakland, which doesn't impress on the table, which has yet to register a win. How could you not be thinking ahead towards Lou City? How could you not be thinking ahead to next Tuesday against Galaxy in Carson? How could you not be thinking about the USL Cup champions three matches from that, right? Like all of that factors in, but it starts with, with your mental approach to Oakland before you get to Lou City, then you get to Open Cup, and then obviously you face the, the Cup winners in Tampa Bay Rowdies. I will say it is a difficult part of the schedule, but this team seems to be very much prepared for a difficult schedule. Oh my goodness. Kyle Vassell. It, it took a couple of matches to see that first goal, but we talked about it for a while with Shannon McMillan, how those goals were about to start coming. And here they are uh, the leading goal scorer on the team. He has, he has changed things with San Diego loyal. There's no question about that. He changes the way that position has been played for a majority of the time. Um, and he's also changed uh, what San Diego has been able to do around him. And I think it's clear. I think Guido adding everything that he talked to us about a couple weeks ago, what he's brought to the team this year, being available longer, what uh, the number nine position is bringing to the team, what Toomey is doing with creating chances and scoring uh, Thomas among who comes in and he, it doesn't take any time for him to start finding the back of the net. Like he scored right away. He was in a case where it's like, all right, well maybe couple months in he'll get comfortable like no he's he's comfortable he's scoring goals he's good um so it just it's been different it's been different yeah. so if there's a team that is ready for this stretch it's definitely this squad 
And it wasn't a question intended to to knock previous forwards. You and I obviously had an amazing relationship with Corey Herzog. He joined us every single match on Match Day Live. But for whatever reason, it just didn't click as well as you and I thought it would when you're bringing in the third all-time leading scorer in USL history. You would have thought it would have produced more than six goals. Already, just by comparison, Thomas Vassell has four. So as Amani explained that, having a true number nine, a back-to-the-goal type center forward from Miguel Berry to Kyle Vassell, this is the key piece. And then that opens it up for Guido to be moving forward, for Toomey to be moving forward, for Amang to be constantly moving forward. On the wing, you have Moon. I mean, he's the tactician. He could have answered all this stuff. But, you know, it is interesting just to watch, instead of a bunch of lateral passing, watching the club move its way into the opposition territory, I think has just been so noticeable through the first six matches of the year. One of the notes I was taking while watching the match over the weekend um, was how <laughs> I just wrote down like, God, the coaches must've been so frustrated only having Vassell available in practices last year right. down the stretch, knowing what he could produce. And now we get to see what he's actually producing. Like I, I like, I just remember writing that down, like God, Landon and Nate and everyone else on that staff just so, must've been so frustrated. A certain layer must've been like, why can't we have him playing? Like, why can't he play? Like we, we need him. We need yeah. him. And, our, and our better team is on the practice field. <laughs> right. Practice squad is good. Practice yeah. squad is very good. So was the team last year, but clearly this team, this, this team's better, man. This is going to be a fun stretch. I, I am looking forward to it. You and I were, we're at that Albion match, the open cup match, and we are definitely going to Carson coming up on Tuesday. Do you think the winner should get the Landon Donovan statue? I think we should at least get it for like 24 hours. If we win. Right. right. Like, it put, it on, put it on the roof of the locals bus to say the locals should have that on the bus on the way home. If we win. <laughs> Like we are tracking that thing down. You thought Phoenix was mad at us. Wait till, wait till Carson. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's call it a wrap before we get in trouble on the always loyal podcast. Darren, anything else you want to get to? I mean it. Amani Walker was really really fun to chat with. He's he's really just like fun to easy to listen to. Yeah. Well, this is why we always gravitated towards. Why are we hosting the, the podcast? Shouldn't he host the podcast? Hey, hey, hey! This is why we always gravitated towards him during these matches. We're like Amani. What should we say on the post game show? <laughs> yeah. most of what you heard was really Amani's analysis right. it wasn't us Darren I'll see you uh I'll see you soon I'm very excited for that match up in uh up in Carson but I'll see you uh God, two more matches before that Oakland Wednesday Saturday Louisville go to Torero Stadium watch that match support loyal hang out with the locals while you're there drink a few beers Darren will buy I love it uh next week is going to be a ton of fun as our friend Nate Abarea says gentlemen the stage is yours.